I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 44 today, starting at verse 1. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant in Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time, and I have declared it. Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Yeah, there is no God. I know not any. The Lord that made thee, that watched over thee, in the womb and made sure that everything was going according to plan the lord which will help thee he helped thee even when you knew him not you did not know you were his child you did not know that you were chosen you did not know that you were set apart for a time such as this. You had no idea that there was a grace on your life. You didn't understand how you made it out of all of the things that you made it out of. But it's because the sovereign hand of the Lord, he was protecting you the entire time. The whole time that he was protecting you, you didn't even know you were worth something. You had no idea that you had value, but you had enough value that he got up on that cross and he bled out for you and he took upon himself the wrath that was meant for you and he took upon himself the punishment that was meant for you to shield you from that punishment to keep you from that punishment because he values you because you are his creation you are his son and you are his daughter and he loves you and he loves you more than you could ever love yourself and he sees potential in you that you don't even see and he's going to draw it out of you but i say that to say this you didn't even know that you were his you didn't even know that you were chosen you didn't even know that you were called you didn't even know that you were special but god knew because he he chose you from the very beginning and so he watched over you while you were being formed in your mother's room womb to make sure that nothing went wrong to make sure that everything went according to plan he took special care of you he provided for you every step of the way you did not miss a meal he made sure that you didn't starve he kept a roof over your head and clothes on your back your feet did not swell 
and your shoes did not wear out. He took great care of you, even though you knew him not, even though you weren't looking for him, even though there was an innate part of you that rejected every part of him, every part of his natural order and the way that he had designed things from the very beginning. Yet there was something in you that when you first heard the word, it stirred up something in you. It stirred up something in you because the laws that God gave a very long, long time ago are written on the tablet of your heart. And so instinctively, you knew, you knew that you were being spoken to in that moment. You felt like that message was tailor-made for you, which is why we can go into the church and we can hear a sermon and it really strikes a chord because it's exactly what we're going through that week. It's exactly what we've been dealing with that month. It's almost as if the pastor knew exactly what we're going through in this moment and how we've been crying ourselves to sleep and how we haven't been able to get any rest and how we just feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders and how we feel like the walls are closing in and we're suffocating and how we feel like there's no hope and there's no way out of this and how we feel like we're never going to get ourselves back again. It's almost as if the pastor knew, but the pastor didn't know. God knows and God speaks through his creation. He speaks through his creation all the time you whom I have chosen for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty that is thirsty you have to hunger and thirst for righteousness but you wouldn't hunger or thirst for righteousness apart from him you wouldn't hunger or thirst for righteousness if you hadn't been chosen and appointed and called from the very beginning He put that hunger and thirst for righteousness in you. He put that desire in you to pick up the Bible and meditate on scripture day and night. He put the desire in you to want to pray, not just for yourself and for your, the people in your immediate circle, but people outside of that. He starts to make the desires of his heart yours. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon dry ground. There was a drought. There was a drought going on on the inside of us. And that drought took on many forms. It might have been a drought of depression. It might have been a drought of anxiety and just never being able to get any kind of rest or peace or slow your mind down long enough to just breathe. Or maybe that drought was just those feelings of worthlessness because you grew up in a household where people always told you you would never measure up, where people always pointed out all of your flaws, all of your shortcomings. They never had anything good to say about you. And so maybe your dry ground is how you now feel about yourself as a result of hearing day in and day out how you don't measure up and how you're not good enough. And how you never get anything right. And how you're always doing everything wrong. But he is living water itself. He says, come to the well and you will never thirst again. 
drink of this well and you will never thirst again. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. God's grace doesn't just extend to us. God's grace extends to our seed, to our offspring, to our children. So we can believe for that right now, even though we might be looking at children who don't look anything like children of God. As a matter of fact, they look a whole lot like children of wrath and they have completely rejected the things of God and they're going down all the wrong paths. But the Lord says, here, I will pour out my spirit spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring and so I encourage you as a parent as you're looking at that child whose situation looks hopeless who isn't looking for the Lord searching for the Lord who actually wants nothing to do with him but you were in a position one time where you didn't want anything to do with him and you weren't seeking for him and you weren't searching for him, but so somehow you ran smack into him right on time. And so the Lord is going to do the same thing for your seed and your offspring because he promised he would. And he's going to pour out his spirit. He renews a, a right spirit within us. He pours out his spirit because the fruits of his spirit are beautiful. You see, we need more love in our hearts. We need more joy. We need more peace. We need more patience. We need more kindness. We need more goodness. We need more faithfulness and we need more self-control. And we wouldn't have any of those things to the degree that we have them now without him pouring out his spirit and they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the water courses they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the water courses you know there was one time where i'm sure that you can agree with me that your life represented withered grass Nothing growed, nothing flourished, nothing blossomed. Everything seemed to be withering away and dying and losing its color and brightness. But how many of us know that when the Lord made a home in us, that that all changed? And so just like he's done for you, he will do for your children when the time is right but we have to understand that his timing is not our timing and his timing is never a minute off so even though we think they need to be saved right now and now is the the proper time lord because it looks like things are getting a a lot worse and i don't know from one minute to the next what tomorrow is going to bring and i i don't know how much more time that we have and the Lord says be still be still because 
the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective and you've been interceding for them and your children probably don't even know it but your children have a covering because you haven't shut your mouth because when you get into your secret place or when you get away to a quiet place and you fold your hands and you bow your head and you pour out your heart and soul to the Lord with tears streaming down your face, you are putting a covering over those children who are right now children of wrath that don't know that they are his yet. One shall say, I am the Lord's and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. There's a certain kind of joy that comes when we realize I am my father's and he is mine. There's a certain kind of excitement that comes from knowing that I am a child of God, that someone wants me and someone desires fellowship with me and someone would never treat me like a, a burden, even if my earthly father and my mother should forsake me, that the Lord never will. And I am not a burden to him and I can come to him at any time and I can actually cast my cares on him. I can lay all my burdens down, all my frustrations, and he will gladly take the weight because he loves me. And he loves me in a way that's much different from the way that my parents used to love me because my, my parents could not love me properly. And it's nothing against my parents. It's just because we are in this broken, fallen state because of the fall of Adam. And so none of us know how to love properly. God has to show us how because his love is pure. The love of Jesus Christ is pure. It's unconditional. It's unwavering. But our love is a little bit different. We we love when it's convenient. We love when you're making us happy. We love when you do kind things for us. But when you disappoint us, when you betray us, when you don't do something that we were anticipating that you would, when you don't come through in the way that we were hoping you would, all of a sudden we retract that love. We withhold that love. Our love is not as great in those moments. But God's love is unwavering. And when I say it's pure, what I mean by that is even when he's angry at you, he's still putting food on your table. He's still providing for you. He still kept that roof over your head. He still protected and covered you from, from, what, from what you never should have walked away from. And he did it at a time when he was angry because he hates our sin. He loves us. But he hates the sin that it so easily entangles us. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. And besides me, there is no God. We made so many other things our God before we realized that he is God and there is no other. Jesus Christ, he is God and there is no other. He is the one true living God. And we need to look no further than him. But before we needed a God, 
so bad. We needed a king. We needed a, a ruler in our life. And so some of us, we made relationships our God. We made, we made our job, our success, our accomplishments, our God. We made our stature, our position, our influence, our God. But he says, I'm the first and I'm the last. And besides me, there is no God. We serve a jealous God. And he's not trying to share your affection with all of your other gods. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? God is always telling us to fear not. Now, when he's talking about fear not, he's not talking about do not fear me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To hate evil is the fear of the Lord. He's talking about an unhealthy fear. God doesn't want you to be anxious. God doesn't want you to be troubled. God doesn't want you to be in constant distress. God doesn't want you to worry and be in this constant place of frustration. But in order for you to do that, you have to lean on, rely on, and depend on 100% the Prince of Peace. His chastisement. The punishment that he took upon himself actually brought us peace. And there is no rest for the wicked, but we can tap into a peace that's supernatural and it makes no sense. It surpasses all understanding. It surpasses all logic. It is not dependent on what you're facing, what you're going through, what you're coming up against. You can run to the arms of Jesus. You can run to the feet of Jesus and you can immediately be met with that peace. I have told thee from that time and have declared it. And we know if God has declared a thing that all his promises are yes and amen, all his promises prove true. God is not a man that he should lie. When he speaks a word, it goes out. So why do we have so much trouble trusting him? That's where the fear comes in. Yes, God, I, I know what your word says, but. I've been waiting for a breakthrough and, and, and it's not happening in the way that I had anticipated and it's not happening in, in my time frame that I was hoping for and I'm getting a little nervous. And now, because we let that fear come in, we have stopped believing God. In that moment, we have stopped believing that he is who he says he is. In that moment, we have stopped believing that he will do what he said he's going to do. In that moment, we have stopped believing 
that his word is his bond and he does not break covenant. He does not break his promises. There is no deception in him. So that's the unhealthy fear that he tells us so often in his word not to participate in. But when we start to feel that fear creep in, we go to everything except the source. We go hang out with our friends so that we don't have to think about all of our fears and our worries and our frustrations. We try to find a pleasant distraction. Our pleasant distraction should be go to your prayer closet. Get in the presence of God. Tell him what's going on with you. It's not like he doesn't know. He knows your thoughts. He perceives them. There's nothing concealed from him. There's nothing that you can tell him that will shock him. He knows everything that you will ever do. He says, be not afraid. Have not I told you from that time and have declared it. Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Yeah, there is no God. I know not any. So we stop trusting God. The minute that we let fear creep into our heart. The minute we start to think that we can do his job better than he can. The minute that we start to look for ways to make the things come to pass that we're hoping for. But that might not be his plan at all. Actually, that may be far removed from anything that he wants to do. So we have to stop relying so much on our desired outcomes. He's the potter and we're the clay. And he knows from one minute to the next what lessons we need to learn. What things we need to go through to draw out of us the things that we didn't even know we possess. To draw on a strength that we didn't even know was on the inside of us. And so he will stretch you. He will stretch your limitations. He will put you in a situation where you think, I, I can't take any more. I can't take any more. The weight is too much. But God never intended for you to carry that weight in the first place. And you may have read it a hundred times. But if you're not putting into practice what you're learning in your word, it makes no difference. See, we know we're supposed to lay all of our burdens down, but a lot of us don't even know how do I do that. It's really simple. You go to God and you tell him, this is too much, Lord. This is too much. I've got all these things on my mind and I, I can't seem to get a break. Every single time I turn around, something else is coming at me. But I know that I can draw on your strength. As a matter of fact, I know that your strength, your power is made perfect in my weakness. So I should glory in my weaknesses so that your power can show up strong. 
Verse 21. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant. O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. You are his servant. It is a privilege and it is an honor to serve the Lord God Almighty in any capacity. But he needs to work on us because we're not naturally selfless. As a matter of fact, a lot of us are all about what's in it for us. Are all about how is this going to benefit me? Are all about, well, this isn't really what I signed up for. But oh, to be a servant of the Lord because you are now going to decrease so that he can increase. You are going to move yourself out of the way, whether you're inconvenienced or not, so that he can go impact a life and change it forever just by one word that he breathes out of your mouth. And you're not going to complain about it, even if it means that he has to break down your car on the side of the road so that you can collide with that other person who's about to die in two weeks and needs to know who Jesus is. See, we can't possibly understand or comprehend why God does the things that he does. But everything that he does is purposeful and everything he does is strategic. And everything he does is perfectly timed. So even when you're inconvenienced, even when your plans are overthrown, there's a reason. Go with it. Thou shall not be forgotten of me. You are always on God's mind. Now, many of you know what it's like to be forgotten. You know what it's like to be sitting at your house and you feel like nobody's ever checking up on you. Nobody ever calls me. Nobody ever comes by. Nobody's ever looking for me. But I need you to understand that God is always thinking about you. He knows your comings and he knows your goings. He has numbered every single hair on your head. He has collected all your tears in his bottle. He has not forgotten you. And if he's not moving, if he's not moving or it doesn't seem like he's doing much of anything after you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten what you've asked of him. And just because you can't see anything happening in the natural doesn't, doesn't mean that it isn't all being worked out in the realm that he's in. They have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. Hallelujah. I have blotted them out. Like a white erase board and he just wiped away all your 
transgressions, the list of your offenses. The list of your offenses. He completely cleared your record. If any of you have ever had a rap sheet, he literally just wiped away everything that was on those pages. Amen. And as a cloud, thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. God paid your ransom notes. He has redeemed you. He has bought you back from your slavery. And half of us didn't even know we were slaves. He bought you back from your slavery, from your captivity. And half of us didn't even know that we were captive. And we didn't know because we didn't look any different from the people around us. Because how many people, how many of us know that misery loves company? And when we were in the world, we choose to surround ourselves with people that understand our struggle. If we come from dysfunctional families, and the majority of us do, then we hang around with other people who came from dysfunctional families. If my father was an alcoholic, chances are I've got some friends in this group that I'm constantly surrounding myself with to know a little something about alcoholism in the family and how it affects the household. It blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. He paid the debt you owed, and he paid it in full. And he asked nothing from you except relationship. God wants to fellowship with you. Jesus wants your time. He wants to be first place in your life. Seek ye first the kingdom and all his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you. But we're supposed to love him. The greatest command there is, is to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's the exchange. Ripped out of darkness into his marvelous light. All crooked paths made straight. Ripped out of captivity. And he loosed your bonds. He opens your prison doors and he lets you out. And all he wants to do. All he wants to do is spend time with you. All he wants to do is direct your steps because how many of us know that the steps of the righteous are literally ordered by the Lord? They're ordered. See, he knows where he wants you to go. But he wants you to take advantage of his Holy Spirit His Holy Spirit, who is your counselor, who is your guide, who is your helper. He doesn't want you to go to your friend when you have questions about what you should do in this next season. Should I make this move? Should I take this job? Should I start this relationship? He wants you to come to him with all of your concerns. And a lot of us didn't even know that God wants to talk to us. He wants to fellowship with us. He wants to comfort us in our distress. He wants to strengthen us in our weary moments. 
He wants us to be able to draw upon his joy when we're in periods of mourning. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. He did it 2,000 years ago. So you can stop striving to be good. You can stop striving to get it right. I've heard that so many times. You don't need to get it right. All you need to do is spend time with the Holy God. He did everything that you needed. He did everything that you needed to succeed, to endure to the end. All that he requires of you is your time and to yield yourself as a vessel, right? He spared your life. You were, you were, you were serving the world. You were serving the devil. You were serving his agenda. And now you become a servant of Christ. That's the exchange. Shout ye lower parts of the earth, break forth into singing ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretch forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. That frustrates the tokens of the liars and maketh diviners mad. That turneth wise men backward and maketh their knowledge foolish. That confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers. That saith to Jerusalem, thou shalt be inhabited. And to the cities of Judah, ye shall be built. And I will raise up the decayed places thereof. He will raise up the decayed places thereof. You know that a circumcision has to actually be performed on our heart. And it's not a circumcision done with human hands. And we don't know that our heart is sick. We don't know that our heart is sick, but our heart is deceitful and our heart is wicked. And out of the abundance of what's in it, our mouth speaks. And the Bible, how many of us know that the Bible is actually a mirror? So when you get in here and you start to read and you're not just reading from your flesh. You can't read from a carnal perspective. This is this is God breathe and God is spirit. So in order to be able to discern the Bible to to understand its its context, to receive revelation from it, you have to read with his spirit. It has to be spiritually discerned. Otherwise, we miss the mark. I will raise up the decayed places thereof. 
So as we're reflecting on what we've read and we get, we get uh, pierced to the heart, we get cut to the heart. That's what happens when we're convicted because Jesus, the word made flesh reflects back to us who we are at our core, our true condition. And when we're face to face with that true condition, it's a shock to our system. Wow, that was in there. Wow, Lord, I didn't even know what a selfish person I was. Wow, and a lot of times he will put certain situations. He will put you in certain situations and he will put you in instances where you're interacting with another person and you feel like they're being difficult, but you don't even know that God is showing you, you through them. And so you're all mad because they said some things that hurt your feelings. But then God takes you a little bit deeper than that. Why? Why did that hurt your feelings? Where does that offense come from? Was it really what they said or does it go a little bit deeper than what was said to you? Was it the dialogue between you or was it something that happened to you 30 years ago and it struck a chord and it triggered you in some way? He shows you you and that can be painful. But that's the process of sanctification the process of being made holy. We are being made the righteousness of Christ. It doesn't, it doesn't happen right after we believe. It's a process. And it's a very painful process. When you think about circumcision, think of it as if God's getting in there with his surgical tools and he's starting to cut out, pluck out, burn out those things in your heart that are hindrances. Those things in your heart are the reason that the re, uh, things that have caused your relationships to fail. Those things in your heart that automatically feel personally attacked when somebody gives you the slightest bit of criticism. Those things in your heart where you think you're a generous person, but you don't realize that you're people pleasing because you need to be needed. Those things in your heart that show you that actually it isn't everybody else's fault that you had a part to play in it too. Those things in your heart that show you that pride is isn't so loud. Sometimes it's really subtle. Sometimes it's silence. Passive aggression is a type of pride. So you really feel justified and you feel entitled to protect yourself when somebody is being harsh with you, but instead you give them the silent treatment and instead you avoid them like the plague, but avoidance is not of God. God wants you 
not to be confrontational, but he also does not want you to hide from confrontation. Because there's healing in confrontation if it's done with grace. And if you can love on that person, even when they're being hateful towards you, that person might not say it while they're standing in front of you, but they're going to go home and they're going to reflect on how kind you were and how loving and how merciful, even though they were being hateful. And why were they shouting, but you were completely calm and you didn't raise your voice. And when they insulted you, you didn't retort back with an insult. And they are going to ponder these things. Praise God. That he doesn't let us walk through life ignorant to these things. That he actually shows us that there are some things in our heart, mind, and life that have been there for a very long time and they need to be uprooted. And the reason why they need to be uprooted is because we don't want them growing back. When you pull something out at the root, it's to make sure that it doesn't come back again. So I'd like to, I'd like you to understand that deliverance is almost like pulling weeds out of a garden. You want things to grow, but the weeds get in the way. The weeds strangle out the things that you're trying to make blossom and bloom and grow to new heights. So you have to get those things out of there because they're a hindrance and they hold you back. They choke out God's promises. They choke out your purpose. God says, I have... I have plans for you. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But I, I can't do what I want to do with you because you need more humility. And so sometimes when we need more humility, he will break our pride. And sometimes when we need more humility, he will put us in a situation where we go from being fiercely independent to fully dependent on him. But that's not such a bad thing. That confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers. That saith to Jerusalem, thou shalt be inhabited into the cities of Judah. Ye shall be built. And I will raise up the decayed places thereof. Jesus was resurrected from the dead by the Father. And there's a lot of things that need to be resurrected that died in us. Our sense of self-worth needs to be resurrected. Our true God-given identity needs to be resurrected. Our confidence in ourselves needs to be resurrected. Our ability to love needs to be resurrected. Jesus is the only one who can do it. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, these things are resurrected, brought back to life. That say it to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up the rivers. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. He is my shepherd. You are following things all your life. You are following all the trends. You are doing things because your friends were doing them. You are doing things because you were pressured into them. He is my shepherd. The Lord is the great shepherd, but you... You are going to get to shepherd some sheep of your own. And how many of us know that God doesn't waste anything? That your pain is never in vain. That the things that you've gone through, you, you didn't just go through to go through them. No, he has a shepherd for you. to. He has a, a flock for you to shepherd. And that flock, that flock, what you're going to find out is that the people that he appoints and entrusts to you are people who understand your struggle, are people that understand where you're coming from, are people that are exactly in the same place you once found yourself, but he pulled you out. And now you get to be the one to extend your arm and say, come with me. I know a better way. You don't have to stay down in this low place anymore. Let the Jesus that I know be the lifter of your head because I used to hang my head in shame too. I used to have a problem looking people in the face too. But you don't have to hang your head in shame if you know who you are. Come and find out. Just like the woman at the well. The well, come see a man who told me everything I needed to know about me. Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And we can start believing in ourselves when we start to see ourselves the way that he sees us. And the only way that we can see ourselves the way that he sees us is when the scales are taken off our eyes so that we can see clearly for the first time. I am a, I am a beloved daughter. I am a beloved son. I am the apple of his eye. I am chosen. He set me apart before the foundations of the world began. I'm somebody, I have worth and value that is indescribable. Worth and value to the Lord, to the almighty God, to the creator of the earth and all its inhabitants and everything beneath the earth. Who spoke out a command and, and whole galaxies and planets and a universe came into existence. Who spoke out a word and all the stars lit up the heavens. And he knows them all by name. Who spoke a command and the oceans are stopped right at their boundaries. Because he said this far and no further shall you go. And this is the God who wants me. This is the God who who loves me. This is the God who cares about everything concerning me. This is the, the God who knows my every thought. Has been there even when I felt like I was alone. 
He was overseeing everything that happened to me. And when you realize that, all those times where you felt like you were unheard or unseen or rejected or abandoned or people left you or they didn't see your potential, it really doesn't matter because there's somebody who sees you so good. So good that he reintroduced you to the person he created before life destroyed you. I'm going to be reading from Isaiah 44 today, starting at verse 1. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant in Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee, fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself by the name of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show unto them. Fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and I have declared it. Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Yeah, there is no God. I know not any. The Lord that made thee, that watched over thee in the womb and made sure that everything was going according to plan. The Lord which will help thee. He helped thee. Even when you knew him not, you did not know you were his child. You did not know that you were chosen. You did not know that you were set apart. For a time such as this, you had no idea that there was a grace on your life. You didn't understand how you made it out of all of the things that you made it out of. But it's because the sovereign hand of the Lord, he was protecting you the entire time. The whole time that he was protecting you, you didn't even know you were worth something. You had no idea that you had value, but you had enough value that he got up on that cross and he bled out for you and he took upon himself the wrath that was meant for you and he took upon himself the punishment that was meant for you 
to shield you from that punishment, to keep you from that punishment because he values you, because you are his creation, you are his son and you are his daughter and he loves you and he loves you more than you could ever love yourself and he sees potential in you that you don't even see and he's going to draw it out of you. But I say that to say this, you didn't even know that you were his. You didn't even know that you were chosen. You didn't even know that you were called. You didn't even know that you were special, but God knew because he chose you from the very beginning. And so he watched over you while you were being formed in your mother's room, womb to make sure that nothing went wrong, to make sure that everything went according to plan. He took special care of you. He provided for you every step of the way. You did not miss a meal. He made sure that you didn't starve. He kept a roof over your head and clothes on your back. Your feet did not swell and your shoes did not wear out. He took great care of you, even though you knew him not, even though you weren't looking for him, even though there was an innate part of you that rejected every part of him, every part of his natural order and the way that he had designed things from the very beginning. Yet there was something in you that when you first heard the word, it stirred up something in you. It stirred up something in you because the laws that God gave a very long, long time ago are written on the tablet of your heart. And so instinctively, you knew, you knew that you were being spoken to in that moment. You felt like that message was tailor-made for you, which is why we can go into the church and we can hear a sermon and it really strikes a chord because it's exactly what we're going through that week. It's exactly what we've been dealing with that month. It's almost as if the pastor knew exactly what we're going through in this moment and how we've been crying ourselves to sleep and how we haven't been able to get any rest and how we just feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders and how we feel like the walls are closing in and we're suffocating and how we feel like there's no hope and there's no way out of this and how we feel like we're never going to get ourselves back again. It's almost as if the pastor knew, but the pastor didn't know. God knows and God speaks through his creation. He speaks through his creation all the time you whom I have chosen for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty that is thirsty you have to hunger and thirst for righteousness but you wouldn't hunger or thirst for righteousness apart from him you wouldn't hunger or thirst for righteousness if you hadn't been chosen and appointed and called from the very beginning He put that hunger and thirst for righteousness in you. He put that desire in you to pick up the Bible and meditate on scripture day and night. He put the desire in you to want to pray, not just for yourself and for your, the people in your immediate circle, but people outside of that. He starts to make the desires of his heart yours. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon dry ground. There was a drought. There was a drought going on on the inside of us. 
And that drought took on many forms. It might have been a drought of depression. It might have been a drought of anxiety and just never being able to get any kind of rest or peace or slow your mind down long enough to just breathe. Or maybe that drought was just those feelings of worthlessness because you grew up in a household where people always told you you would never measure up, where people always pointed out all of your flaws, all of your shortcomings. They never had anything good to say about you. And so maybe your dry ground is how you now feel about yourself as a result of hearing day in and day out how you don't measure up and how you're not good enough. And how you never get anything right. And how you're always doing everything wrong. But he is living water itself. He says, come to the well and you will never thirst again. Drink of this well and you will never thirst again. I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. God's grace doesn't just extend to us. God's grace extends to our seed, to our offspring, to our children. So we can believe for that right now, even though we might be looking at children who don't look anything like children of God. As a matter of fact, they look a whole lot like children of wrath and they have completely rejected the things of God and they're going down all the wrong paths. But the Lord says, here I will pour out my spirit spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring and so I encourage you as a parent as you're looking at that child whose situation looks hopeless who isn't looking for the Lord searching for the Lord who actually wants nothing to do with him but you were in a position one time where you didn't want anything to do with him and you weren't seeking for him and you weren't searching for him, but so somehow you ran smack into him right on time. And so the Lord is going to do the same thing for your seed and your offspring because he promised he would. And he's going to pour out his spirit. He renews a, a right spirit within us. He pours out his spirit because the fruits of his spirit are beautiful. You see, we need more love in our hearts. We need more joy. We need more peace. We need more patience. We need more kindness. We need more goodness. We need more faithfulness and we need more self-control. And we wouldn't have any of those things to the degree that we have them now without him pouring out his spirit and they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the water courses they shall spring up as among the grass as willows by the water courses you know, there was one time where I'm sure that you can agree with me that your life represented withered grass. Nothing growed. Nothing flourished. Nothing blossomed. Everything seemed to be withering away and dying and losing its color and brightness. But how many of us know 
the, when the Lord made a home in us, that that all changed. And so just like he's done for you, he will do for your children when the time is right. But we have to understand that his timing is not our timing. And his timing is never a minute off. So even though we think they need to be saved right now and now is the, the proper time, Lord, because it looks like things are getting a, a lot worse. And I don't know from one minute to the next what tomorrow is going to bring. And I, I don't know how much more time that we have. And the Lord says, be still. Be still because the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective and you've been interceding for them and your children probably don't even know it, but your children have a covering because you haven't shut your mouth. Because when you get into your secret place or when you get away to a quiet place and you fold your hands and you bow your head and you pour out your heart and soul to the Lord with tears streaming down your face, you are putting a covering over those children who are right now children of wrath that don't know that they are his yet. One shall say, I am the Lord's and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. There's a certain kind of joy that comes when we realize I am my father's and he is mine. There's a certain kind of excitement that comes from knowing that I am a child of God, that someone wants me and someone desires fellowship with me and someone would never treat me like a, a burden, even if my earthly father and my mother should forsake me, that the Lord never will. And I am not a burden to him and I can come to him at any time and I can actually cast my cares on him. I can lay all my burdens down, all my frustrations, and he will gladly take the weight because he loves me. And he loves me in a way that's much different from the way that my parents used to love me because my, my parents could not love me properly. And it's nothing against my parents. It's just because we are in this broken, fallen state because of the fall of Adam. And so none of us know how to love properly. God has to show us how because his love is pure. The love of Jesus Christ is pure. It's unconditional. It's unwavering. But our love is a little bit different. We we love when it's convenient. We love when you're making us happy. We love when you do kind things for us. But when you disappoint us, when you betray us, when you don't do something that we are anticipating that you would, when you don't come through in the way that we were hoping you would, all of a sudden we retract that love. We withhold that love. Our love is not as great in those moments. But God's love is unwavering. And when I say it's pure, what I mean by that is even when he's angry at you, he's still putting food on your table. He's still providing for you. He still kept that roof over your head. He still protected and covered you from, from, what, from what you never should have walked away from. And he did it at a time when he was angry because he hates our sin. He loves us. But he hates the sin that it so easily entangles us. 
Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. We made so many other things our God before we realized that he is God and there is no other. Jesus Christ, he is God and there is no other. He is the one true living God. And we need to look no further than him. But before we needed a God so bad, we needed a king, we needed a, a ruler in our life. And so some of us, we made relationships, our God, we made we made our job, our success, our accomplishments, our God. We made our stature, our position, our influence, our God. But he says, I'm the first and I'm the last. And besides me, there is no God. We serve a jealous God. And he's not trying to share your affection with all of your other gods. And who as I shall call and shall declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show unto them, fear ye not, neither be afraid. Have not I told thee from that time and have declared it? God is always telling us to fear not. Now, when he's talking about fear not, he's not talking about do not fear me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To hate evil is the fear of the Lord. He's talking about an unhealthy fear. God doesn't want you to be anxious. God doesn't want you to be troubled. God doesn't want you to be in constant distress. God doesn't want you to worry and be in this constant place of frustration. But in order for you to do that, you have to lean on, rely on, and depend on 100% the Prince of Peace. His chastisement, the punishment that he took upon himself actually brought us peace. And there is no rest for the wicked, but we can tap into a peace that's supernatural and it makes no sense. It surpasses all understanding. It surpasses all logic. It is not dependent on what you're facing, what you're going through, what you're coming up against. You can run to the arms of Jesus. You can run to the feet of Jesus and you can immediately be met with that peace. I have told thee from that time and have declared it. And we know if God has declared a thing that all his promises are yes and amen, all his promises prove true. God is not a man that he should lie. When he speaks a word, it goes out. So why do we have so much trouble trusting him? That's where the fear comes in. 
yes, God, I, I know what your word says, but I've been waiting for a breakthrough and, and, and it's not happening in the way that I had anticipated and it's not happening in, in my time frame that I was hoping for and I'm getting a little nervous. And now, because we let that fear come in, we have stopped believing God. In that moment, we have stopped believing that he is who he says he is. In that moment, we have stopped believing that he will do what he said he's going to do. In that moment, we have stopped believing that his word is his bond. And he does not break covenant. He does not break his promises. There is no deception in him. So that's the unhealthy fear. That he tells us so often in his word not to participate in. But when we start to feel that fear creep in, we go to everything except the source. We go hang out with our friends so that we don't have to think about all of our fears and our worries and our frustrations. We try to find a pleasant distraction. Our pleasant distraction should be go to your prayer closet. Get in the presence of God. Tell him what's going on with you. It's not like he doesn't know. He knows your thoughts. He perceives them. There's nothing concealed from him. There's nothing that you can tell him that will shock him. He knows everything that you will ever do. He says, be not afraid. Have not I told you from that time and have declared it? Ye are even my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Yeah, there is no God. I know not any. So we stop trusting God. The minute that we let fear creep into our heart. The minute we start to think that we can do his job better than he can. The minute that we start to look for ways to make the things come to pass that we're hoping for. But that might not be his plan at all. Actually, that may be far removed from anything that he wants to do. So we have to stop. Relying so much on our desired outcomes. He's the potter and we're the clay. And he knows from one minute to the next. What lessons we need to learn. What things we need to go through. To draw out of us the things that we didn't even know we possess. To draw on a strength that we didn't even know was on the inside of us. And so he will stretch you. He will stretch your limitations. He will put you in a situation where you think, I, I can't take any more. I can't take any more. The weight is too much. But God never intended for you to carry that weight in the first place. And you may have read it a hundred times. But if you're not putting into practice what you're learning in your word... It makes no difference. 
See, we know we're supposed to lay all of our burdens down, but a lot of us don't even know how do I do that. It's really simple. You go to God and you tell him, this is too much, Lord. This is too much. I've got all these things on my mind and I, I can't seem to get a break. Every single time I turn around, something else is coming at me. But I know that I can draw on your strength. As a matter of fact, I know that your strength, your power is made perfect in my weakness. So I should glory in my weaknesses so that your power can show up strong. Verse 21, remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for thou art my servant. I have formed thee, thou art my servant. O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. You are his servant. It is a privilege and it is an honor to serve the Lord God Almighty in any capacity. But he needs to work on us because we're not naturally selfless. As a matter of fact, a lot of us are all about what's in it for us. Are all about how is this going to benefit me? Are all about, well, this isn't really what I signed up for. But oh, to be a servant of the Lord because... You are now going to decrease so that he can increase. You are going to move yourself out of the way, whether you're inconvenienced or not, so that he can go impact a life and change it forever just by one word that he breathes out of your mouth. And you're not going to complain about it. Even if it means that he has to break down your car on the side of the road so that you can collide with that other person who's about to die in two weeks and needs to know who Jesus is. See, we can't possibly understand or comprehend why God does the things that he does. But everything that he does is purposeful and everything he does is strategic. And everything he does is perfectly timed. So even when you're inconvenienced, even when your plans are overthrown, there's a reason. Go with it. Thou shall not be forgotten of me. You are always on God's mind. Now, many of you know what it's like to be forgotten. You know what it's like to be sitting at your house and you feel like nobody's ever checking up on you. Nobody ever calls me. Nobody ever comes by. Nobody's ever looking for me. But I need you to understand that God is always thinking about you. He knows your comings and he knows your goings. He has numbered every single hair on your head he has collected all your tears in his bottle he has not forgotten you and if he's not moving 
he's not moving or it doesn't seem like he's doing much of anything after you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten what you've asked of him. And just because you can't see anything happening in the natural doesn't, doesn't mean that it isn't all being worked out in the realm that he's in. They have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. Hallelujah. I have blotted them out. Like a white erase board and he just wiped away all your transgressions. The list of your offenses. The list of your offenses. He completely cleared your record. If any of you have ever had a rap sheet, he literally just wiped away everything that was on those pages. Amen. And as a cloud, thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. God paid your ransom notes. He has redeemed you. He has bought you back from your slavery. And half of us didn't even know we were slaves. He bought you back from your slavery, from your captivity. And half of us didn't even know that we were captive. And we didn't know because we didn't look any different from the people around us. Because how many people, how many of us know that misery loves company? And when we were in the world, we choose to surround ourselves with people that understand our struggle. If we come from dysfunctional families and the majority of us do, then we hang around with other people who came from dysfunctional families. If my father was an alcoholic, chances are I've got some friends in this group that I'm constantly surrounding myself with that know a little something about alcoholism in the family and how it affects the household. They've blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions. And as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. He paid the debt you owed and he paid it in full. And he asked nothing from you except relationship. God wants to fellowship with you jesus wants your time he wants to be first place in your life seek ye first the kingdom and all his righteousness and all other things will be added unto you but we're supposed to love him the greatest command there is is to love him with all our heart mind soul and strength that's the exchange Ripped out of darkness into his marvelous light. All crooked paths made straight. Ripped out of captivity. And he loose your bonds. He opens your prison doors and he lets you out. And all he wants to do. All he wants to do. Is spend time with you. All he wants to do. Is direct your steps. Because how many of us know that the steps of the righteous are literally ordered. By the Lord they're ordered. See, he knows where he wants you to go. But he wants you to take advantage of his Holy Spirit. 
His Holy Spirit, who is your counselor, who is your guide, who is your helper. He doesn't want you to go to your friend when you have questions about what you should do in this next season. Should I make this move? Should I take this job? Should I start this relationship? He wants you to come to him with all of your concerns. And a lot of us didn't even know that God wants to talk to us. He wants to fellowship with us. He wants to comfort us in our distress. He wants to strengthen us in our weary moments. He wants us to be able to draw upon his joy when we're in periods of mourning. Sing, O ye heavens, for the Lord hath done it. He did it 2,000 years ago. So you can stop striving to be good. You can stop striving to get it right. I've heard that so many times. You don't need to get it right. All you need to do is spend time with the Holy God. He did everything that you needed. He did everything that you needed to succeed, to endure to the end. All that he requires of you is your time and to yield yourself as a vessel, right? He spared your life. You were, you were, you were serving the world. You were serving the devil. You were serving his agenda. And now you become a servant of Christ. That's the exchange. Shout ye lower parts of the earth, break forth into singing ye mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretch forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself that frustrates the tokens of the liars and maketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backward and maketh their knowledge foolish, that confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers, that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah ye shall be built. And I will raise up the decayed places thereof. He will raise up the decayed places thereof. You know that a circumcision has to actually be performed on our heart. And it's not a circumcision done with human hands. And we don't know that our heart is sick. We don't know that our heart is sick, but our heart is deceitful and our heart is wicked. And out of the abundance of what's in it, our mouth speaks. And the Bible, how many of us know that the Bible is actually a mirror? So when you get in here and you start to read 
and you're not just reading from your flesh you can't read from a carnal perspective this is this is god breathe and god is spirit so in order to be able to discern the bible to to understand its its context to receive revelation from it you have to read with his spirit it has to be spiritually discerned otherwise we miss the mark i will raise up the decayed places thereof so as we're reflecting on what we've read and we get we get uh pierced to the heart we get cut to the heart that's what happens when we're convicted because Jesus the word made flesh reflects back to us who we are at our core our true condition and when we're face to face with that true condition it's a shock to our system wow that was in there wow lord i didn't even know what a selfish person i was wow and a lot of times he will put certain situations he will put you in certain situations and he will put you in instances where you're interacting with another person and you feel like they're being difficult but you don't even know that God is showing you you through them and so you're all mad because they said some things that hurt your feelings but then God takes you a little bit deeper than that why why did that hurt your feelings where does that offense come from was it really what they said or does it go a little bit deeper than what was said to you was it the dialogue between you or was it something that happened to you 30 years ago and it struck a chord and it triggered you in some way he shows you you and that can be painful but that's the process of sanctification the process of being made holy we are being made the righteousness of Christ it doesn't it doesn't happen right after we believe it's a process and it's a very painful process when you think about circumcision think of it as if God's getting in there with his surgical tools and he's starting to cut out, pluck out, burn out those things in your heart that are hindrances. Those things in your heart are the reason that the re, uh, things that have caused your relationships to fail. Those things in your heart that automatically feel personally attacked when somebody gives you the slightest bit of criticism. Those things in your heart where you think you're a generous person but you don't realize that you're people pleasing because you need to be needed. Those things in your heart that show you that actually it isn't everybody else's fault that you had a part to play in it too. Those things in your heart that show you 
that pride is isn't so loud sometimes it's really subtle sometimes it's silence passive aggression is a type of pride so you really feel justified and you feel entitled to protect yourself when somebody is being harsh with you but instead you give them the silent treatment and instead you avoid them like the plague but avoidance is not of God God wants you not to be confrontational, but he also does not want you to hide from confrontation. Because there's healing in confrontation if it's done with grace. And if you can love on that person, even when they're being hateful towards you, that person might not say it while they're standing in front of you, but they're going to go home and they're going to reflect on how kind you were and how loving and how merciful even though they were being hateful and why were they shouting but you were completely calm and you didn't raise your voice and when they insulted you you didn't retort back with an insult and they are going to ponder these things praise God that he doesn't let us walk through life ignorant to these things that he actually shows us that there are some things in our heart, mind, and life that have been there for a very long time and they need to be uprooted. And the reason why they need to be uprooted is because we don't want them growing back. When you pull something out at the root, it's to make sure that it doesn't come back again. So I'd like to, I'd like you to understand that deliverance is almost like pulling weeds out of a garden. You want things to grow, but the weeds get in the way. The weeds strangle out the things that you're trying to make blossom and bloom and grow to new heights. So you have to get those things out of there because they're a hindrance and they hold you back they choke out God's promises. They choke out your purpose. And God says, I have, I have plans for you. I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But I, I can't do what I want to do with you because you need more humility. And so sometimes when we need more humility, he will break our pride. And sometimes when we need more humility, he will put us in a situation where we go from being fiercely independent to fully dependent on him. But that's not such a bad thing. That confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers. That saith to Jerusalem, thou shalt be inhabited into the cities of Judah. Ye shall be built. And I will raise up the decayed places thereof. Jesus was resurrected from the dead by the Father. 
And there's a lot of things that need to be resurrected that died in us. Our sense of self-worth needs to be resurrected. Our true God-given identity needs to be resurrected. Our confidence in ourselves needs to be resurrected. Our ability to love needs to be resurrected. Jesus is the only one who can do it. By the power of the Holy Spirit, these things are resurrected. Brought back to life. That say it to the deep, be dry and I will dry up the rivers. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure. He is my shepherd. You are following things all your life. You are following all the trends. You are doing things because your friends were doing them. You are doing things because you were pressured into them. He is my shepherd. The Lord is the great shepherd, but you... You are going to get to shepherd some sheep of your own. And how many of us know that God doesn't waste anything? That your pain is never in vain. That the things that you've gone through, you, you didn't just go through to go through them. No, he has a shepherd for you to, he has a, a flock for you to shepherd. And that flock, that flock, what you're going to find out is that the people that he appoints and entrusts to you are people who understand your struggle, are people that understand where you're coming from, are people that are exactly in the same place you once found yourself, but he pulled you out. And now you get to be the one to extend your arm and say, come with me. I know a better way. You don't have to stay down in this low place anymore. Let the Jesus that I know be the lifter of your head because I used to hang my head in shame too. I used to have a problem looking people in the face too. But you don't have to hang your head in shame if you know who you are. Come and find out. Just like the woman at the well. The well, come see a man who told me everything I needed to know about me. Because God knows us better than we know ourselves. And we can start believing in ourselves when we start to see ourselves the way that he sees us. And the only way that we can see ourselves the way that he sees us is when the scales are taken off our eyes so that we can see clearly for the first time. I am a, I am a beloved daughter. I am a beloved son. I am the apple of his eye. I am chosen. He set me apart before the foundations of the world began. I'm somebody, I have worth and value that is indescribable. Worth and value to the Lord, to the almighty God, to the creator of the earth and all its inhabitants and everything beneath the earth. 
who spoke out a command and, and whole galaxies and planets and a universe came into existence, who spoke out a word and all the stars lit up the heavens and he knows them all by name, who spoke a command and the oceans are stopped right at their boundaries because he said this far and no further shall you go. And this is the God who wants me. This is the God who, who loves me. This is the God who cares about everything concerning me. This is the, the God who knows my every thought, has been there even when I felt like I was alone. He was overseeing everything that happened to me. And when you realize that all those times where you felt like you were unheard or unseen or rejected or abandoned or people left you or they didn't see your potential, it really doesn't matter because there's somebody who sees you so good. So good that he reintroduced you to the person he created before life destroyed you.